Matthew chapter 7, uh, we're going to look at verse 21, 22, and 23 together. Just three verses, but wow. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. It's a tough passage of scripture. There are four things that I want to share with you this morning, four principles. And here's the first I want you to see this morning that the Father's will is not simply meant to be discussed or debated. It's meant to be done. It's meant to be done. This is what Scripture teaches us here in verse 21. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father. Now, if this section of Scripture is a warning to us, and it is, by the way, then, then, then all of the flashing lights and the sirens and the signs are pointing to the great sins of pride and, and, and self-deception and self-delusion. Okay? And, 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 and you've got to see the delusion that's going on here. Jesus is saying, listen, many people on the day of judgment, many people on the day of judgment will come to me, and, 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 and they'll, they'll, they'll say on that day of judgment, Lord, Lord. OK, now on the day of judgment, some things we need to understand. Uh, if you read the Bible and you interpret the Bible correctly, uh, Jesus says clearly on the day of judgment that all people will come before him. All every tongue will confess, every knee will bow. Now, that doesn't mean that every tongue and every knee gets to go into heaven. OK, because we're going to cover some confessions today. It means that when it's all said and done, everybody, uh, heaven and earth and, 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 and everywhere, everybody will know that Jesus is indeed Lord. OK, that's going to happen. But when you study the judgment, Jesus says that, that on that day, he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. OK, that's that final separation. You remember the parable about the wheat and the tares. He said, yeah, I can't I can't separate the tares from the wheat because I'm going to ruin the crop. But but on the day of harvest, that's when you separate. Right. That's when you separate. So so scripture teaches this very clearly. Guys, there are no second chances on the day of judgment. So I, I need you. I need you to get this. Jesus is saying on that day of judgment, when there are no second chances, many will come to me saying, Lord, Lord. And I, I want you to notice this, guys. They have a right doctrinal belief. Intellectually, they understand that Jesus is Lord. They, they, they have right doctrine. Okay, and so this is where we start. Intellectually, they know him to be Lord, and that's a good thing. Right doctrinal belief is important, right? We talked about that last week, okay, with the false prophets and, 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 and the true gospel. But hear me clearly this morning. According to Jesus, intellectual knowledge is not enough. It's not enough to just know some doctrine that says that Jesus is Lord. It's not enough to just have a head knowledge. And I want to spend some time here this morning with you talking about the importance of this truth, because we live in an era of cheap grace. We, we live in an era of, of cheap church membership. We live in an era of cheap Christianity, don't we? We're, we're following Jesus seems to cost very little and require very little of any of us. And in fact, we've kind of got it down to a science, don't we? You just have to you, you just have to get somebody to pray a magic little prayer. 
And it's as easy as A, B, C. And it doesn't matter if their lives actually reflect a genuine change or not. They prayed the prayer. So they're taken care of, right? Friends, I hate to tell you, but that's cheap Christianity. Nowhere in the Bible are you going to find this this doctrine that we've made up that says you can have Jesus as Savior but not Lord. That's just not a biblical thing. We've just made that up because we've embraced this cheap thought of Christianity where all it takes is a magical prayer and you're in. And everybody's going to go to heaven as long as they uttered words, regardless of whether or not their lifestyle reflected a genuine change that those words sunk in. We believe that we're deceiving ourselves. Jesus says only he who does the will of my father will enter the kingdom. And guys, that means that real faith is more than just intellectual doctrine. Jesus is saying that there is a confession that that doesn't save. There's an intellectual or head knowledge that doesn't lead to repentance, lordship and life change. It's not enough for us to know about God. It's not enough for us to sing about God. It's not enough for us to memorize doctrine uh, and statements about God. It's not enough. We must surrender our lives to God. We must come before him and allow him to have control so that he can invade us and fill us with his spirit by which we do the will of God. Ephesians 2.10 for we are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. There's some big words there. Workmanship. Uh, The word in Greek is poema. Uh, It's where we get our word poem. It's not the little roses or red, violets or blue junk we used to write in third grade either. It's talking about a masterpiece. Right? It's talking uh, browning. It's talk, talk, talking about a masterpiece. We're, we're God's workmanship. We're God's masterpiece. We're, that, that, that's who we are. And get this, we're created in Christ to do good works. How are we made to do good works? We're created, born again in Christ. We're born again in Christ. See, guys, as Christians, we're not meant to just talk about the Father's will. We're not just meant to come to church and study it, to take a few notes and go home and debate it. According to Scripture, we're meant to do it. We're meant to do it. So don't just be hearers of the word, but do what it says. How do we do what it says? We do what it says through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that is given to us when we surrender our lives to Christ. Okay, number two. Number two, I want you to see this morning. I want you to see this morning that God is concerned with steady growth not just spectacular experience. God is concerned with steady growth, not just spectacular experience. Look at verse 22. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Again, we're we're dealing with with, uh, self-delusion here. And so one form of self-delusion is knowledge. Right. Many people have convinced themselves that they're saved because they know a lot of stuff about God, but they've never surrendered their life to God. Okay, so that's they're delusional. Okay, the other camp is delusional because of all the spiritual experience that they've had. 
You see, they've experienced a lot of cool God things, but they're still not saved. They haven't been born again, right? They haven't surrendered. Jesus is not Lord. Their life has not changed. And and so there's another warning. There's another warning. I want you to hear the resume of these guys, because, man, these are some religious folks. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this is a great resume. These guys are prophets. Woo! That's a big one. These guys are exorcists, right? Have you, you ever known an exorcist? I'm telling you, buddy, that freaked me out a little. Hey, what do you do? My name's John. I'm an exorcist. Nice to meet you, John. I'm going in the opposite direction. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I don't want to ask any questions. I don't want to know. That stuff freaks me out. These guys, these guys are prophets. These guys are exorcists. Wait, well, let's go a step further. These guys are miracle workers. Jesus, Lord, don't you know all the miracles that we've done in your name? And, and hear me, because because this is huge. They're mistaking all of these spectacular spiritual experiences with genuine faith, faith, repentance, and obedience. They're misunderstanding. They're thinking all this spiritual experience is what it takes to be saved. And, and they've never truly come to genuine faith, repented, and began to obey the word of God. They're just having a lot of great spiritual experience. I think there's a special warning in there for us today. And here's why. We live in a a day and age that is full of the spectacular, don't we? Or or some would say it's full of the spectacle. Depends on how you look at it. We we focus in on on the spectacular, right? Let's face it, we go from conference to conference Oh, it was such a great conference. It was awesome. We go from Christian concert to Christian concert. Oh, it was great. I mean, the, the lights and the music, and it was so powerful. We, we even hop from church to church seeking some kind of special spiritual experience. And when we get it, man, we tell everybody, oh, my goodness, that experience that I had, it was so amazing. And all the time we forget the words of Jesus. You see, these men had great experience. But when they came to Jesus, Jesus said, hold on, wait a second. That's great. You may have all the experience in the world. Those sounds like wonderful activities. But I don't know you. You haven't walked with me. You haven't talked with me. You haven't sat with me. You haven't done life with me. You haven't allowed me to, to, to mold you and to shape you and to form you into my image. You're not my friend. I don't know you away from me. I know you not. You see, we can't mistake spiritual experience for a relationship with Jesus Christ. Just like intellect and knowing about God is not enough to save Having great spiritual encounters is not enough to save either. Jesus said, away from me, I know you're not. God is not concerned. Uh, God is concerned with steady growth, not just spectacular spiritual experiences. The third thing I want you to see is this this morning. <clears throat> I want you to see this morning that true grace results in true change. True grace results in true change. Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, the famous German preacher and, and uh, theologian. He had a term to describe the self-delusion that we've been talking about this morning. 
So these people that that either thought that uh, intellectually uh, they knew enough about God and they were okay, or they they well, but 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 pastor, don't you know? I went and I I prayed I prayed the holy steps. I I, I went all the way up on my knees until I was bloodied. I mean, I, I I've taken a pilgrimage. I've done you know these people had all these great spiritual experiences, pastor. But I fasted for forty days, and and and, and he had these this this term to describe these people that had delusioned themselves and, and to believing that they were truly saved, though they had never truly received Christ, they never repented, they never surrendered their life and had life change. Okay? And and his term for it was cheap grace. His term for it was was cheap grace. As a Lutheran pastor in Germany, he said that he had a church full of people uh, that at some point they had had confession or they had confessed that Jesus was Lord. They'd all done that, a little confirmation. They'd all confessed that Jesus was Lord. Okay, and and they seemed to be genuinely good people. They were very nice people. They they seemed to love each other. But he said the truth was that as he began to look deeply at his congregation, he believed with all of his heart the majority of his church was was completely unregenerate. They had not been saved. They hadn't been saved. They 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 were not born again. And and and, and he, hear me. This is what he concluded. They had been taught grace, but it was grace without conversion. It was grace without conversion. Proverbs 30 verse 12 describes these kind of people. It says they are pure in their own eyes. Yet they are not cleansed of their filth. This is that self delusion. And so in in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, Bonhoeffer writes about this form of cheap grace. And it's in your sermon notes. I've got it on the screen. I'm just going to read it to you because I love this quote. He says cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. It's baptism without church discipline. It's communion without confession. It's absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. You see it? There's a huge difference. I want you to hear me, friends. A commitment to Jesus Christ results it has to a commitment to Jesus Christ has to result in costly obedience it's got to it costs something to follow Christ when Jesus came to the disciples and said come follow me do you know what that meant that meant an end to their old way of life you'll no longer be fishers of fish you're going to be fishers of men you'll no longer be tax collectors you're going to follow me and you're going to be a fisher of men to, to, to surrender to Jesus, it costs you everything. Because it's an exchange. We have to give up control of our life. We have to accept His control over our life. It's an exchange. It always results in costly obedience. I want you to write this down. We, we can't just proclaim Jesus with our lips. We've got to proclaim Christ with our very lives. It's a huge difference. It's not about proclaiming Jesus with our lips. It's about proclaiming him with our very lives. True grace results in true change. Brings me to the last point and and probably the most important point, kind of the culmination of this whole little section of scripture, guys. Permanency in Christ's presence requires a personal relationship. To be with Jesus forever in heaven, you have to have a personal relationship with Jesus. It is the only way to go to heaven, okay? Look at verse 23. 
Verse 23, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Hear that. It's very personal. I never knew you. I don't have a relationship with you. I've never had a relationship with you. That's what Jesus is speaking to. And this is the point. This is the culmination of the text. It's, it's not about what you know about him, right? It's not about what you've done, quote unquote, for him. Right. This is what he's saying. These things are not what get you into heaven. It's not about your spiritual experience and it's not about your spiritual knowledge. It is all about whether or not you have a relationship with me is what Jesus says. And this morning, and this is huge, I want to explain to you why that is the case. Because we talk about the fact that we need a relationship with Jesus all the time. But here is why this is crucial. Okay. This is why spiritual experience can't save you. This is why spiritual intellect cannot save you. Okay, you're going to want to write this stuff down. It's pretty huge. Here's why. You have to have a personal relationship with him. Ready? Because there is no substitute. There is no substitute for righteousness in the presence of God. We have to have a personal relationship with Jesus because there is no substitute for righteousness in the presence of God. None whatsoever. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. No one. That, that, does that freak anybody else out? It's just me, right? I'm the only person that hears that and goes, Wow. Okay, Lord, maybe I should take this relationship aspect a little more uh, serious in, in my walk with you, right? He, hear me. Head knowledge doesn't make you holy, Right? How many of you know good doctrine, right? You know that the Bible is the Word of God. Anybody know that? Okay. How many people know that Jesus is the Son of God? You believe that? All right. How many people believe in the Trinity? Okay. That's awesome. Okay, man, y'all are great. How many people believe in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit comes to live in you, right? You believe in the priesthood of believers that through the Holy Spirit, we don't have to go through a priest, right? Priesthood of believers that we now have direct access to God because of Jesus, right? That's what it talks about, John 14, Okay, so see, we've got good doctrine, but but hear me, good doctrine doesn't make you holy, friends. Good doctrine can't cleanse you of your sin. Did you know that? I mean, it, it's great. It's good teaching. It's important. We talked about that last week. You've got to have good doctrine, but it doesn't make you holy. Now, what about spiritual experience? Man, those moments that we've been overcome with the Spirit of God, when we've been in a worship service and we've fallen on our knees, when, when, when we've been at home by ourselves and God has put us on our face before Him and we've just wept in His presence and we have felt God moving in us, right? Only one problem is that great spiritual experience and all those emotions and stuff, they don't, they don't make you holy either. They don't make you righteous. They don't cleanse you of your sin. You see, that, that's a huge problem. Accepting Christ, surrendering your life to Him, and entering into what, what I'm going to call a covenant relationship with Him, in which you exchange yourself and your sin for, for His holiness and His righteousness. That is the only way that you can be made holy. That's the only way that you can be made right to accept His perfection on your part. That's the only way that it happens. You've got to surrender your life to, to Jesus and be born again. You've got to have a personal relationship with Christ. Through which His Spirit comes to live inside of you. And by which you're able to now please the Father by producing good works. That's why you've got to have a personal relationship. That's why Jesus says to these guys, I 
me. I don't know you. I don't have a relationship with you. Again, back to what we said earlier. I haven't walked with you. You haven't sat with me. We haven't done life together. I haven't molded you and made you into my image. Therefore, you cannot appear before my father. You're not holy. You're not righteous. It should be powerful. It should affect us. It should make us think and hopefully do more than just think. So what do we do with this? Okay, I'll give you I'll give you a little bit of application and then I'm going to leave you and the Holy Spirit alone. Let y'all figure it out, okay? Number one. I think when we study this text, it is a call to stop the self-delusion. All right? Come on, be honest. You think you're pretty good, don't you? Right? I'm a pretty good person. Not bad, God. Got some things in order. Dude on the TV told me I was pretty good. Uh Uh-huh, he did. He told me if I was healthy, wealthy, and wise, I got it. I'm being blessed. Prosperity gospel. It's not real. Okay, anyway. Don't get me started. Read an article this week. Made me furious. Wanted to say something I didn't. Please. Don't trust in yourself. You know, when you study scripture and you look at men that have trusted in themselves and their own ability, do you know that it always ends in ruin for them? Do you know that those are the kind of men that are swallowed up by the earth and swallowed up by the sea? Trust in Christ. Don't believe that you're good enough. Don't believe that you know enough. Don't rest on your head knowledge. Don't rest on your spiritual experience. Make sure that you have a personal, thriving, daily walk with the Lord Jesus. Make sure that when you stand before Him on that day, you're not saying, but but I know this great doctrine, and I had these great experiences. I went to youth camp for crying out loud. Right? And, 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 and I went to that conference about parenting. And I did this and I did that. Instead, when you come before Jesus on that day, I pray that you are falling on your face going, My God, my Lord, my Savior, I still surrender all to you. All to you. I think on that day, He's going to embrace you and say, Well done, my friend, well done. Come and be with me. But but if that's going to happen, we've got to stop the self-delusion. Okay, number two. We've got to surrender. We've got to. What do we have to surrender? Our very lives. I read an article. Alan actually posted a really good article on our uh, church Facebook page talking about Christianity in America specifically. There's kind of three different groups of Christians. Uh... There's a lot of people that proclaim that they're Christian, right? They just say, well, yeah, I'm Christian. I believe in Jesus. Never go to church. Don't read the Bible. I mean, nothing. They just, we're a Christian nation. Surely, I'm a Christian, right? Have no knowledge away from me. I knew you not. It's another group of people. But I was I was birthed in the in, in the Sunday school room. I mean, my, my mother, she had me in the pew. I mean, I mean, something like, I grew up in church my whole life, right? I mean, when I was six years old, I, I, I started confirmation early because I was a, I was a great uh, achiever, you know, whatever it was. And, and just all this, raised in church their whole life. 
Know a lot of doctrine. Never had a personal relationship with Christ. Away from me, I knew you not. Okay? Then there's the third group of Christians. And that's the way the church has always been. The church is, is supposed to be made up of the third group of Christians. And that's the people that understand the cost of discipleship. And a daily walk with Christ. And that it's not easy. It is difficult. And, and, and they understand that it's all about surrender. It's about coming before Jesus and saying, Jesus, here. Here's my mess. It's for you. I'll accept your righteousness. I'll be clothed in your goodness. So when I stand before the Father, I'll be found righteous and holy because I'm wearing you. I gave you me. Friends, that's not a one-time moment in life. It's meant to be a moment-by-moment thing in life. We've got to surrender our relationships. We've got to surrender our careers. We've got to surrender our kids. We've got to surrender to Him every day. He is Lord. He's in charge. So I'd encourage you, please surrender to the Savior. And lastly, I'd just say this. Live in the Spirit. Live in the Spirit. And this is, this is the result of what I just talked about, okay? The Bible says we're to walk in the Spirit, that if we walk in the Spirit, we'll avoid the sins of the flesh. All right? Okay, Galatians 5. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? I'll tell you. Walking in the Spirit is daily, moment-by-moment moment surrender. That's what it is. I mean, if you want a clear picture, this is what it is, right? What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness, kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. Is that the kind of person you want to be? Brother, I'm telling you, that's the kind of person I need to be, right? I, I want to I confess to you because I'm an open book. We had a little uh, moment. When was it? Like Friday, Friday morning, I think. I woke up and I didn't sleep real well. And I, I, I woke up, baby, 630 I was like, oh, I got up. I was not a happy person. I was cranky from moment one. My kids got up. I was more cranky. Uh, there was, there was, they were being picky about breakfast, which just infuriated me. And now I'm, you know, I'm not like saying, I hate you. Get out of my house. Uh, but I was just, I was just cranky. It wasn't, it wasn't good. And um, I sat down finally after all that was over. And I had my coffee. And I read my Bible. And I went and got in the shower. And I came out. And I just said, boys, I need to, I need to meet with you. And we sat down at the at the uh, kitchen table before we read our Bible together. And I said, you know what? Um, I did not surrender to the Lord this morning. I didn't set my alarm. I didn't get up. I didn't. I wasn't the man that I needed to be this morning. I should have been up before any of this other stuff happened. But I, I wasn't. And so the first cry, I, I woke up cranky. The first complaint, I was already there. I did not surrender to my Savior the way that I should have. And it affected our relationship this morning. And I said, I just want you to know that I'm sorry. And that Dad understands that he needs to start his day a different way. So that you don't have to experience the Dad that you got this morning. And I said, would you guys forgive me? And they said, oh, yeah, Dad, we're fine. Thank you. You know, I pray those moments stick with my kids. I pray you have those moments with your kids. If we're not surrendering to Jesus, we'll never be the men and the women that we're called to be ever. So I say to you, live by the Spirit. Because if you live by the Spirit, you'll avoid the sins of the flesh. You guys pray with me. Father, come before.